M&K Talk YA now presents The Young Elites, Part 1, by Marie Lu. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. I forgot you were trying to start the more casual thing and I just never, I'm never, I'm so serious. I can, I mean, (laughs) we can mix it up like every other episode just to confuse people. I was purposely trying to be very good this week because you said that you get nervous and like starting it off this way kind of calms you down a little. So I didn't want to throw you for a loop. It does because I don't have to think about what I'm saying and then and then it started and then I can't think about what I'm saying and I just start talking. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm extra nervous. Well, not nervous, but I'm uh, distracted this week because I have my new puppy. I just got him yesterday. And he's so cute. <laughs> I can't stand how cute he is. So if you hear some random whining in the background, it's probably not Marissa. It's probably Toby. <laughs> I mean, depending on the topic we cover today, it might, I might be whining a little bit too, but... Well, what is... And his name's Toby? Yep. Well, there he goes. <laughs> he doesn't like that I'm not playing with him 100% right now. Well, since my dog has been barking in every episode, uh, it's Toby's turn. <laughs> we'll be the, the dog reading, not whispering, because our dogs are not the most well-behaved, maybe, but... Clearly not. <laughs> Although I did put a thunder shirt on Banjo today, so... A what? I think she might be a thunder shirt. What is that? Oh, is that one of those calming things? If they're, like, mm-hmm. anxious about stuff? Yeah, they're, like, um, compression shirts. And it's it's really funny, because we always put it on, and I'm like, oh my god, can you breathe? Are you okay? <laughs> it's, like, a little corset. But she um, she likes it. She calms right down. I don't know. It really works for her. She gets... She just stops barking at everything, and kind of just goes right to sleep. <laughs> That's what I need for him, I guess, right now. No, I'm just kidding, not yet. He's just a puppy, which is fun. I've never had a puppy by myself before, though. Yeah. Um, it's tough. Where you can't leave him alone at all, and I'm like, I have to go take a shower. What do I do? <laughs> it's so funny when Banjo just walks into the bathroom when you're, like, trying to take a shower and just kind of sits there and stares at you. Well, actually, James was here until today, so I haven't taken a shower by my, like, alone. Like, when someone can't watch him while I'm in there, so we'll see. He has a little like <laughs> cage and he figured out the dog door already. So I did I went to I put him in there and I went to the bathroom and all of a sudden he was in the bathroom. I was like, How did you even get You're out? Like, Dude, give me some space here. <laughs> yeah. I was coming right back. To be fair, I guess I always go with him when he goes to the bathroom, so maybe he thinks that's like polite. <laughs> this is like what we do now. <laughs> we watch each other pee. <laughs> Anyways, so speaking of other new things, we are in the middle, or in the middle, I guess in the middle of the first book of a new series. Mm -hmm. The Young Elites by Marie Lu. And And Sorry, you go. You go. No, you go. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, I really like it. Oh, good. Good. I was worried. I wasn't sure what you would think, because I know there's been like some mixed responses among our friends. Yeah. I I really like it too. I think it helped me though because of the mixed responses. I sort of had lower expectations. I think if I had just read it after Legend Prodigy Champion, I would have been like, because it's such a different world and such Mm -hmm. a different character. 
I think I would have been like disappointed, not because it was bad, but just because I wasn't ready to switch, you know? Yeah, and it's also just so much darker than the other series we did. Yeah. Which I really like because you know how much I like horror movies and dark and disturbing things, but um, it was kind of jarring coming from like the Lunar Chronicles, which was a bunch of fairy tales, and then this very, very dark world. Like, and it starts off so fast, too. It's like it's a breakneck speed and it never lets up. I know. It was really hard for me to stop reading halfway, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even just like the first sentence is like, I'm going to die tomorrow. You're like, what? I also, I didn't okay. know like how far back it was, or I didn't know, because you know, it's, it, it like went back a week after the first chapter, the first little bit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if the whole book was going to take a week, but no, it was like two chapters and then you were, Tied up. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's about, um, it's like told from the villain's point of view. So she, um, I've like read a couple interviews by Marie Lou and she was saying that she was writing, starting to write this book from, and Raffaello was the main character. Yep. And it just wasn't working. And her editor was like, what about this Adelina girl? She seems really cool. And she was like, yeah, it's been fun to like write from the villain's point of view. And then the editor said, well, why not make her the main character? And after she made that change, like the book kind of um, started wrote itself at that point. (laughs) Exactly. It's so interesting how that happens. Like authors really are just kind of like these... Like, the, when characters are real and, like, um, the story, like, makes sense, the author's not really writing it based on what they want to happen, right? Like, it's, like, right. the story makes it itself gets a mind happen. of its own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she said that, um, like, one of the ways she deals with writer's block, which makes so much sense, is, you know, if, if she has writer's block, it's usually because she's trying to force something to work that isn't meant to work. And so she's like, whenever I get stuck... I know I have to take a look back and see what's wrong because it's usually something wrong with the plot or I'm trying to make a character do something that's not in their nature to do. And that's how she gets through it. Yeah, I can totally relate to that from the little tiny bit of writing I do, which Mm -hmm. is every time I try to make something happen that I want to happen, I get frustrated because it doesn't work and then I just stop instead of working through it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the hardest part about writing is like you get to a certain point and then you just you give up because you can't figure out how to fix it. And so she said this was a tough book to write because of that. And also because, I mean, we haven't read Legend or um, Prodigy or Champion yet, but those characters, she described them as they walk in the light, whereas Adelina very much is aligned with the darkness. So yeah, it was like a kind literally. of weird... Uh, yeah, literally. So it was kind of like a weird character shift for her. But I love hearing the story from the villain's point of view. Yeah, and I don't know if I would even call her a villain. I was going to say, it's also interesting because I'm not really sure who the good guys are right now. Yeah, I know. Because we have so many characters who are so complicated and complex and they all have their own motivations. And they all have, like, what they're doing makes sense for them, but what they're doing isn't necessarily... I don't really feel like there's anyone here who's, like, morally high ground, I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. No. But They're all using each other. Yeah. Okay, so where should we even start with this? Do we want to start with any research we did? Did you do any research this week? I did, well, I did a lot of puppy research, but um, <laughs> I didn't do a ton of research. I had read the same story you did just because I was kind of interested in the whole, um, I, you had mentioned that it was an anti-hero story, so I was kind of curious how it came about, so I, I had read the same thing you did, and then um, I also read something about how 
I don't even remember if this was a Marie Lu interview or something else I was reading, but in Legend and Prodigy and all that, it was kind of futuristic and you still got to this dystopian world. And this was kind of a little bit more, it wasn't our world, but like historical, you know, it felt like very old medieval or mm-hmm. time period with like a plague and like, you know, they're on horses, they're not on flying rockets mm-hmm. after our last book and whatnot, but you still get to this sort of same dystopian. I mean, it's very, it's just, it's kind of an interesting thing. I'm rambling, but like. The... No, it's true. Cause it's like a different, it's definitely a different time period. I think it's like the, the middle ages and it almost seems like it takes place in Spain or Italy. So there's that kind of context, but it's yeah. definitely a different world. Yep. It's not Spain, Italy. It's just very similar. Um, so I kind of went with that whole medieval Italy, Spain kind of thing. And I did some research on the Spanish Inquisition. Okay. Because, (laughs) I don't know, that's like one of the only things I can think of because there was, at the beginning, this scene where Adelina's going to be burnt at the stake. Yeah. And we meet the head of the Inquisition, whose name is Taryn Santoro. And um, he's trying to rid the world of these children who were affected by the plague Mm -hmm. and now bear these weird markings and it's kind of interesting because they're the malfettos is what they're called and they're they're very much like scapegoats and blamed for like everything that's going wrong in the world which i mean the spanish inquisition they were trying to root out heretics so anything that was like going against catholic law but there were definitely some a little some similarities yeah, tell me more. I haven't studied that in a long time, so... Um, okay, so do you want to guess who started the Spanish Inquisition? Like, a person? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, don't say the Spanish. <laughs> I really... The I, Spanish? I, I, I was, but I <laughs> thought that maybe that wasn't the answer you were looking for. <laughs> um, I have no idea. Oh, so it was um, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. Okay. And they started it in 1478 to punish heretics who were offenders of Catholic law. And I didn't know this, but there were about, they say there were about 3,000 people who were executed um, by the Spanish Inquisition in the 350 years that it was uh, instated, which that seems like a lot to me, but I guess um, that number is kind of a a more recent evaluation of how many people died because before they thought the number was much higher. But they were saying that, um, you know, a lot of the sentences that were carried out were more like you have to wear a cross sewn into your clothes or you have to go in a pilgrimage and it wasn't like... Always um, death, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that, that study was also published by the Vatican though, so... There's, there's I mean, no bias there. Exactly. I'm not sure. We'll have to take this with a grain of salt. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting because... There was a figure that I learned about. His name was Tomas de Torquemada, and he reminded me a lot of Taryn, and I thought maybe he was the inspiration for uh, that character because he was a Spanish monk who was appointed to the position of the Grand Inquisitor, and he was a really strict advocate of uh, religious teachings, and he was kind of described as a zealot, and he had this obsessive quest to like root out heresy, and he was called the Hammer of Heretics. But the interesting thing, I, I, all I read was the book. So um, Taryn actually is a Malfetto, though, right? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes. Because that's, why, that's why he was, like, punishing himself and whatnot, because he felt, like, disgusted with himself. So he's 
or right? Like, yeah, isn't that he's what like, he was saying? Right. It's almost like um, I don't know. I think it's like self-loathing, kind of, because he, yeah, he hates malfeasance, but he also hates himself. So we see that scene where he's like doing self-flagellation because he hates his true nature and he feels the need to repent for being what he is. But it's also interesting because it seems like his power is like healing quickly or well. Right, exactly. I wonder... So, (laughs) is that like real pun... Like, I I don't know. It seems like kind of a weird punishment if it's... I guess you're still suffering the pain while it's happening. I wonder if you think... Do you think he can heal other people or just himself? I don't know. That's a good question. I was curious about that. Because right now, the only person he has any connection with that I could even see him wanting to or trying to cure would be the queen. What does she have to be cured from? That's what I'm saying. And at this point, there's no... Like, so even if he could, unless he, like, did what he's doing to himself to people as torture, you know, like, if he tortured them and then to the brink of death or something and then brought them back to life to torture them again. There was a lot of torture that happened in the Spanish Inquisition, but we've been on that train to that town and I don't I didn't <laughs> want to go there again so I kind of skipped over that part but um I did learn about so during like the trials when they were um punishing heretics the uh they had these things called auto defes which were the kind of like the last step of um the inquisition process where the accused would have like a ritual of public penance and it was when the inquisition decided their punishment Okay. So they would do is they would publicly issue an edict accusing an individual of heresy, and you had 40 days to either confess and repent or to maintain your innocence, I guess. But during those 40 days, anyone could testify against you. So if two people testified against you and said the same story, you were taken into court, and if five people brought the same testimony against you, then you were imprisoned. And you had three hearings during which you had time to confess. And if you didn't confess, they would use torture. And if you, at the end of the three trials, you still weren't confessing, they just presumed, presumed you were guilty. And then you were punished somehow. And the most extreme ones was being burned at the stake. That's so interesting that they had so many layers, but it was never yeah. a... But it was really just multiple chances to ruin someone's good name, basically. I know. Well, and you know, a lot of the resources I said that I read said that the Spanish Inquisition was started to provide fair trials to heretics because before, I guess, it was just like I don't know, willy nilly burning people. But well, well I was gonna say, in some ways, it sounds more f- like the fact that they have all these steps makes it sound more fair exactly. than just than just okay, we think you're guilty, burn them. Yeah, or someone's one person saw it or said it or whatever. Like, yeah, that's bad. You're, you're out of here. But there's still so much hearsay involved and so much um, non-support of the accused. Oh, no, exactly. The auto de, And the auto de phase were, I mean, it was an act of public penance, but everyone would gather to hear you, like, repent these horrible sins. And then if you didn't, they would gather to watch you be burned alive. <laughs> That's still so weird. Like, I know that didn't just happen during the Inquisition, no. right? Like, even the... Um, in the, the Roman times when they did the gladiator wars. Like, I don't understand why that was such great human entertainment watch to, like, die. point out outsiders or watch people, like, violently kill each other. It's or horrific. Yeah. Well, I also learned something about being burned at the stake. Oh, good. <laughs> I just I went a little bit into the torture realm. But, um, so I guess 
if at the end of your auto de fe, if you would not confess or you would not admit your guilt, then they would gag you so you couldn't do like a last minute confession. And then they would bring out a cross. And if you kissed the cross, they would use seasoned wood to burn you, which apparently burnt really fast and it would kind of, you know, make it a quick for a quick death. But if you refused to kiss the cross, they would use green wood, which burned very, very slowly. So how many okay, what were they being accused of for the most part? Or do you So know? that's a good question because heresy could be just pretty much anything. It's like any action yeah. that goes against the teachings of the church. And there's actually a whole list of heresies online that you can Google, and some of them are just so obscure. Like, I mean, I think but like adultery and, you know, murder were some, but then there's also like some that people believed that Jesus was born humid and became divine later. Like that would be, if you believe that, that's considered heresy. That's like, I don't know. It goes back to this whole, um, who was it in, uh, you know, when we were saying winter, like, I don't know if I could lose my mind for that, like moral standing. Like, I think even if I didn't believe what they were saying, but it was something that like didn't impact other people. Like, I'd be like, sure. I believe that. Whatever. Let me go, please. Yeah, or at least, I don't know, yeah. I'll go, like, stand in a field with a cross or whatever it was mm-hmm. if you just get off my back. Well, also, there was a, historically, um, it was common to blame people for um, natural disasters. So I was actually talking to my cousin about this because she's in a play coming up, and it's um, Voltaire's Candide, and they have an auto de fe, at this in this play and there's like this whole song that she was singing that's like what a day what a day for an auto de fe and they're burning <laughs> they're burning people because it was um after the lisbon earthquake they blamed the quake on the sins of heretics and so this auto de fe was a form of like cleansing which is so interesting because that sounds like such a old school religious mindset yeah. to you know like be like oh the gods are punishing i mean even even in Catholicism and stuff, it's more of like an Old Testament type of God who did that kind of stuff. Like, oh, you didn't listen to me. I'm going to, you know, flood the world or exactly. whatever. Exactly. But it also, like, it was it tied into the book so well, though, because the Inquisition was angry at these malfettos because they were kind of blaming them for, you know, there was this blood fever that happened. And now we have these marked children and they're very much the scapegoats, kind of like what happened back in the day, like for real. Yeah, 100%. And especially it's interesting that some of them have powers and some of them don't or some of them haven't at least manifested their powers because it sounds like she's weird that she didn't have any reaction before she she killed her dad. Yeah. But um, also, was it Raphael who was saying his theory that, like, their connection to the gods because of the fever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the... Like, since it is a different world, I'm curious, like, what the religious beliefs are me too well we know there's 12 gods right when he does the test with the gemstones so there's 12 gods yeah but is but is but is that like the catholic of their you know catholicism of their world the widely accepted everyone believes that i think or is that like i mean the religion doesn't have a name yeah but i think it seems like that's the widely accepted view yeah because adelina didn't just like didn't disagree with any of the premises no. of his like 12 gods and all of that and like seemed to know what he was referencing but I just thought that was kind of interesting that on both sides it sounds like they're being blamed for all the problems and scapegoated but then they themselves think they've been selected like it's just another one of these I don't know who's the bad guy well, and 
Or they're or they're kind of all bad and guys. And we also <laughs> learned that in other nations, I mean, we've only seen the one nation of Kenetra, I think it's called, but we learned that in the other nations, the Malfettas are celebrated for their markings and they're um, considered very unique and they're cherished. And so it's kind of interesting how you can have one country that hates them so much and persecutes them in another country that very much values them. So I wonder if like that will come into play eventually. Yeah, especially isn't one of the young elites from the Sunlands or whatever? Ah, uh, the Windwalker is, yeah. Where they're celebrating. Right, and also um, she's not from, She's. I think she's Kenetran, but the star thief, Gemma, she is from a royal family and her father loves her very much and that, like cherishes her and doesn't treat her like Adelina's father treats her. Like, he doesn't treat her like an abomination. So there is that juxtaposition between like Adelina's situation where she's very much hated for her markings and then her finally meeting some people who are celebrated for it. But it, it is, it's kind of weird how like... It kind of it reminds me of cyborgs and shells and the different way... Like it makes sense to me that society blames these people, but I feel like in my mind, especially because they've already been... Like they weren't born that way, so they've already like... You know, they grew up, loved these kids hopefully mm-hmm. for the most part and then they got sick and survived and then all of a sudden you're you're hated and then all of a sudden you're like oh never mind like <laughs> i mean it sounded like her dad was just a bad guy on top of it all like even before oh, he the was sickness a real like piece he had anger he had anger problem like it wasn't just because he of makes that. like audrey from the lunar chronicles look like mary poppins He's so he's so terrible. And I also like I did not expect him to die so quickly. I mean, I knew that she was in jail. It opens up with her in jail because she, she killed her father, but I expected there to be more of like a cat and mouse with him and her. And then it was just like Yeah, like I said, I thought I thought maybe by the end of the book he would have died and she would right. be Especially because it's a series, so they could still, like, that's how she ended up in jail, was the first book or something. But no, it was, like, the first 30 pages And then, like, whatever. he gets trampled by his horse. Like, it was, ugh. It wasn't pretty. It's, yeah. The book is pretty dark. And, and her struggle, I mean, you know, like, she knew it was wrong. She didn't do it on purpose, but she all, but it also was her desire manifesting itself in these, um, vi- not visions. Visions? What do you Illusions? call them? Illusions? Um, Illusions, thank you. (laughs) Right. Because it's almost like her illusions come from, you know, a very kind of... It's a latent kind of feeling where usually you can suppress them, but it's almost like, in her case, the those voices that you have inside you that you know are wrong, it's like they are released, you know? And usually, like, in most, most cases, people can kind of, like, quiet them or not act out. It's also interesting that the reason I think she's like that and that that's how her power manifests itself is because her dad was so terrible to her. But her dad was extra terrible to her because he was trying to get her to have some kind of magical power. Mm-hmm. And then when she finally manifests that magical power, it, it kills him. Like, it's just kind of a, like... It's ironic. Serves him... Like, I felt like it served him right. Yeah. No, uh, I, I totally <laughs> agree. I mean, it was kind of like, oh, is this what you wanted to see? Okay. F you, dad. Like, and I mean, just... I don't know, her whole journey at the beginning was really tough too. I mean, losing her eye and... And how it's still, like, anytime she feels heat, it, like, rem- like she was she was awake for it. Oh, yeah. Or she was, yeah, like, what a, not just losing your eye, but, like, the pain. Like, that sounded, that sounded very middle East yes, to me. I agree. <laughs> it reminded me of, of The Handmaid's Tale, actually, a little bit. Have you been watching that? 
I haven't been watching it. I've been like yet. watching it compulsively, but it it's not like giving anything away. But there's a, a handmaid who has her eye removed as a punishment, and I was watching that this week, and the entire all I could think about was Adelina. I was like, oh my god, that's so, it's so awful. And then I also her sister. I'm still like kind of confused by their whole relationship because didn't her sister also have the fever, but she's not marked. Is that right? It? So she escaped unscathed and. It's tough because now she has, I mean, her sister is loved, quote unquote loved, still questionable, but um, she's treated much better by their father than Adelina is. So yeah, there's this like weird competition for their father's love. But so are there kind of like four layers if you got sick? One was all the adults or whatever Mm -hmm. died. Two was you survived and you're completely fine. Three is you survive and you're marked. And then four is you're survived, you're marked, and you have secret special powers. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess some come out of it completely fine. I think that's where I got confused, because I thought that she would at least be a Malfetto. Yeah. (laughs) Even if she didn't have any, like, powers. But I guess if you survive the fever without any physical signs, then you're still And it's interesting, too, how some of the markings are beautiful. Yeah. You know, like, Raffaele's markings are very striking. And I think part of that, I don't know, maybe that ties into a little bit of how you're treated. Because we see, like, all of the um, the consorts that we meet at the, the court when she's mm-hmm. rescued and taken to the pleasure court. All of the consorts are marked. Or almost all of them. So I think that was kind of interesting, too, how it's like, even though they're Malfettos and they have these markings... In some areas, they're almost fetishized. Yeah, well, and they're they're not so, like, turned off by that aspect to not go to the pleasure courts and enjoy their company. Right. I mean, there's definitely still, like, an us versus them mentality, but it's almost like what is publicly hated can be privately fetishized, which is kind of messed up. But but that was also, like, an interesting level to put to put onto it yeah i'm i'm curious to hear more backstories for people like everyone i know i'm trying to think of like who's your favorite character right now favorite in terms of what like the one i most like to read Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. the one i'm more interested in or the one i relate to like what what do you mean by i can't pick a favorite (laughs) just general favorite who do you like most to read about um i think i'm most like curious about not Raphael. what's the not terry um enzo the guy who saved her, Enzo. <laughs> Do you know when Lauren read his name, she thought it was Elmo? <laughs> and she was like, she was like, why does the main character have this clown Now name? I'm going to start reading it as Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about him too, because like, he was marked, and then, he, but he's the prince, and then he was banished because they didn't think Amalfetto was fit to rule, but that was more like his sister banishing him so she could claim the throne, right? Yeah, that felt more like a political move than anything. Except that it fed, but I don't know how much that, like, it, when that happened, were people already scapegoating and superstitious, or did that kind of help start and spark and encourage that whole I think it was already thing. started, because otherwise, I don't think Julieta, his sister, would have been able to th- banish him. You know, people would have rallied behind their prince, I think, because he was had the main claim to the throne, so unless... People were already really hating Malfettos. I don't think she would have been able to make that power play. True. But I also think that had to feed the fire. Yeah, that's probably true. Like, we're saying that a Malfetto is not fit to rule, so... 
How else are they going to persecute Yeah, if them? even even the king to be, if this happened to him, like. And all because of a fever. I think it's it reminded me a lot of the Black Plague too. Maybe I'll research that next week. Okay, I'll look into that more too. Yeah, it did, it, and it, that also made it seem very Middle Age ish. How it, and it killed so many of the population, like it wiped out certain villages. It's very similar. I'm also kind of curious a little bit to know what they did about it. Like, it did they just quarantine people? How did they I treat mean, like, it? Was, was it kind of like in the Middle Ages, or did they? You know, it sounds like it literally. It, I don't remember if this is actually what it said or if it was just the impression I got, but like no adults lived, right? Mm-mm. No. So that, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Especially because kids are usually... More susceptible. Much more, yeah, have weaker immune systems and whatnot. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I'm also curious about like what happened after Enzo was banished and then he just like shows up looking for people like him like what happened in that space of time yeah and how because she eventually recognized him right right like so his face was known so how does he like live in real life as a banished prince like does he walk down the street and like people are like oh yeah that that guy used to be prince (laughs) look at how he's fallen i don't know and now he's uh yeah and how does he get like i mean he formed the stagger society right but i was just curious like how did you find people to support you because he obviously has patrons and he obviously had them before he started this society. So I was just like, I guess there must have been just a group of people who always secretly supported him and who... Well, that's why I was kind of wondering, like, there had to be some people who still think he's the rightful ruler, right? Yeah. I mean, I think all the patrons of the of the court do. Yeah. And they're just not concerned. Or maybe they even like his... Pa- like, that's also probably part of it. Some people, I'm sure, who are intrigued by power and already think he's the rightful owner and then they like see what he can kind of do with his Mm -hmm. fire stuff probably think he's the horse to put their cart behind yes and also i think they're just curious to see what he will reward them with you know yeah they put they can only go up from there especially if it remains secret Mm -hmm. that they're supporting him Yeah. yeah i agree or they could always betray him down the road if it if the grass gets greener Mm hmm the puppy is asleep and his head is hanging oh, off of the puppy. chair. Don't wake up. And he looks like he's going to fall off, but I'm afraid to wake him. Okay, um, here's my other question. So we, yeah. we've seen a couple elites and their powers. Which, which power do you want to have? If you could have anyone. Oh, that's a good there's question. there's like the wind walker. There's Enzo can control fire. Adelina can create illusions. Um... What are the other ones? I never really so, understand I think, what, what the spider can do. If he can just see in the dark? That's all I know for sure he okay. can do. But he, there has to be more to it I'll than that. I'll skip that one. <laughs> and then the architect, he can, I don't know, he can like unwind objects. Well, yeah, I don't know what that means. But yeah, that's how they described it. Like, does that mean he can like, uh, what's it called when you can move things with your mind or like bend things with your mind? Oh, it's, like, like telekinesis? Tele- telekinesis. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's what it is, because unwind just sounds... Or do you, like, de-atomize people? But that doesn't sound like a thing. There's, like, actually, there's a young adult book called Unwind that's on a complete different sidebar, but never mind. Continue. <laughs> what power do you want? <laughs> Speaking of that word, no. No, because I really want to read it, and I'm, like, purposely not reading it in case you want to do it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should, then, in that case. But, I don't know, Adelina... I'm interested to see when she can control it, if it can be more, like, controlling what people see seems really cool and powerful, sort of like if it gets to the point where 
um, they were talking about, you know, if you could, or she was saying maybe if she could change who someone looked like mm-hmm. or what, like it could be a really powerful gift, but right now it just scares me because it's so linked to that hatred and anger. So I wouldn't want it. Yeah. It seems more like a burden than a gift right now. Yeah. And then I'm just intrigued by fire guy. I'm like, I think I also am just like, like his power, like his confidence and whatnot. I think actually Raphael is the one that I, being able to read it all. Being able to, like being oh, able, being able to feel everything. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. But I don't know how useful it would be. It's just not But very, I don't really I don't really need it. Yeah. For and it's not like I don't know. It's not a very helpful or use like exciting power. But I just like love information and I feel like it would be like the one that I could actually enjoy regularly. He's more of like an empath. You yeah. know, like you can sense everyone's emotions and feelings. Well, I when I met Marie Lou, I asked her the same question during oh, the yeah? book signing and she originally said she wanted Adelina's powers, but with the caveat that she wouldn't use them for bad. <laughs> but then she said that she wanted um, the Windwalker's powers. I was going to say that too. That one's kind of cool. And I feel like there's a lot more there that we haven't... I Basically, I listed all of them, but so see, I don't know. Okay, here's the, here's the thing that I don't get is when everyone talks about superpowers, they're always like, oh, I want to be able to fly. But here's the thing about flying. It would be awful in so many ways because it would be freezing... And no one thinks about that. Like, if you're flying high in the sky, you're going to be really cold. And you're probably going to get wet all the time. It's going to be raining. And, like, if you fly through a cloud, you'll be soaking wet. I was going to say, even if wet. it's not raining out, you'll be in all the condensation. I always say I want to be able to teleport. Like, I want to be too. wherever I want to be instantly. That is my number one my number one superpower that I've always wanted to have. Yeah. Because I, I don't even hate traveling, but... It's just so much work, you know? And I have friends all over the place, or there's, like, places I want to go or see, or even things, like, with this dog, if I could just, like, teleport to my parents' house instead of putting him in the car for 20 minutes. I just want to commute to work. That's all I want to do. Use it for. It's just commute to work (laughs) and not have to sit for an hour on the train. But, like, and also, you could be so sneaky about it, because the other thing about flying is if you're flying too high, you're too cold, and if you're flying too low everyone is going to be able to see you and then they're going to kidnap you so they can experiment on your brain. But with teleporting, you can be really sneaky about it and you could never be detected. And also with flying, you can still be like trapped. With teleporting, I don't know how you stop someone from teleporting, right? Exactly. Like even if they locked me into a whatever, couldn't I just yep. teleport to wherever the hell I wanted to go? Absolutely. Yeah, no, teleporting is my go-to. But that wasn't an option in the in this group yet. It wasn't. I... The one in this group that I really liked, though, was I really liked the Star Thief's power. Like, if I had to pick one an existing power, I think I'd want to talk to animals. Because how great would that be? I could just, like, text Banjo during the day. That reminds me of um, Eliza Thornberry and the... What was that? Did, did you ever watch that show? It was, like, on Nickelodeon. No. And this, this girl, her parents were... Um, I don't know, they like traveled the world and like studied animals or something and she could talk to animals and didn't tell anyone and that was it was like a cartoon. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm imagining though. You as Eliza Thornberry. Yeah. I think that's the one that I would go with. I mean, being able to heal yourself would be pretty cool too. Oh, I kind of forgot about that one. Except that would only be really cool if my life were a lot harder. Like right now, luckily, <laughs> I, I don't get that injured seriously that often right it's like oh yeah I got a paper cut or right now I have a bunch of puppy scratches and stuff but but what if you could like cure a cold like you could essentially never get sick I wonder if it extends that far and it would be cool if you could heal other people yeah. to your point if, well, it, if it could extend then it would be more use- but then it would also be like because people would be like oh they'd be coming to you like asking you to I don't know 
heal them all. I was going to say, and then, and then you'd like feel guilty if you yeah. like didn't make time to go save someone. But then you feel selfish because you're like, no, you know what? I have to like watch this Netflix show. So you're going to have to sever through your cold for a little longer. I'm just trying to lead, live my life. So <laughs> I don't have time to get rid of your with flu. Great, with great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. So that's why I just want to talk to animals because like, you know, no one's going to care about that one and no one will know except the animals. That's true. Although I wonder, like, does that mean you can hear, can you just talk to them when you're choosing to talk to them? Or like whenever you're outside in the woods or something, are you going to hear like every squirrel and every bird and like all, like, can you not enjoy nature anymore? (laughs) That's a good point. I don't know. And also like, I'm not sure if I would want to hear what Banjo would say to me, you know? Well, 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 they say even like a full grown dog has like the intel, like they're really like as smart as like a toddler, right? Yeah. So three year old. They're not like this. Yeah, so you can teach them certain things like you can a kid, but you can't, they're not You can't like, reason with them. You're, you're not going to have these intellectual conversations with Banjo, even if you could talk to her. That's true, that's true. It's more just for me. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, the other thing that I thought was really cool, um, especially since yesterday, did you watch the Derby yesterday? I did not. I was puppy obsessed. He watched the Derby and I watched him. So Katie, there was a horse with one eye. Oh really? I know. There were so many like one-eyed references happening this week. And Wait, was, that's it, gotta be so hard because they also have eyes on like the side of their head, right? So how does that work with their like ability to perceive yeah. depth perception and stuff like that? That was my question too. I was like, a one-eyed racehorse, how did, what does that look like? But they said that it's it's fine. I mean, he did can he still run? He didn't win. But <laughs> did he lose his eye, or did he was he born without an eye? So his name was Patch, actually. But he, oh. he was named before he lost the eye, and he lost the eye almost exactly the way Adelina did. So oh. his eye got infected, and they had to remove it. Oh my goodness. I mean, probably not with a flaming hot knife while the horse was still awake, but still. So if he didn't win the race, does that mean, is that a sign that she's not going to win the war? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, We'll we'll have to wait and see about that. You're like, I don't don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) But I really did like the horse race that they had in the book. And And I researched that a little bit because... It is almost identical to the Palio in Siena. Have you heard of that? No, what's that? So it's this horse race that is still held today in Siena twice a year. And it's um, a horse race in their in their piazza. And it's held in July and August. And in the race, there are 10 horses and riders. And each horse represents the 10 uh, the city wards throughout Siena. And they're called Contrada. And there are 17 Contrada, but only 10 compete in any race. So <laughs> the, um, the kind of thing that's interesting is that the riders ride bareback, and they are not allowed to enter any purebred horses. So they all have to be, you know, none of them can be purebred. And they do three laps around this piazza, and it lasts 90 seconds, but it is a crazy, treacherous race because part of the competition is like everyone wants their contrada to win and so the jockeys are allowed to like push other jockeys off their horse they can hit them with their crops like they can try and sabotage the horses it's just like utter chaos for 90 seconds and if a rider falls off the horse but the horse still finishes first the horse can win 
So it's based on like the horse, not the rider. That's actually really cool and kind of crazy. So what's the what's the reason behind no purebreds? Like, is that just? I have no idea. That's a really good question. But they all have to be like of mixed species, I guess, or whatever horse breeds. But and they they walk, but the the horses are so prized that before the race, each horse is walked into the church and blessed before the race. Mm. I know. So should we have a field trip and go um, see the palio? See see it? Yeah. I I'm kind of scared to go because it sounds like it's absolute insanity and it's super dangerous. Like riders get hurt all the time. The horses get hurt, which I wouldn't like to see. I mean, the competition between Contrada is. I mean, it goes back to the like the 1500s. I think it was 1590 when the first one started. And um, the Contradas all have really funny names, and almost all of them are named after animals. So, like, there's the snail and the caterpillar and the crusted <laughs> porcupine is, like, Contrada names. Those are almost as good as the Patronuses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and if you win, you get, you're presented with, like, this banner of painted silk. Um, which is called a palio, and it's exactly what Gemma receives at the end of the race. She gets um, like a bolt of silk. So it seems like that race in the books was based almost identically to the palio in Siena, which I really liked. That is really cool. I'm kind of, I don't know how I want to say this. I feel like, why are they doing, why doesn't he just go find his sister? Like oh, Enzo? Yeah. <sighs> That's a good question. Because he was able to, like, when the, they were basically trying to bait him in part when they were burning Adelina as well, right? Like, they thought he they might They keep come. trying to draw him out. But, but they don't, I don't think they know that he's the prince, though. Uh, like, I, don't, I think they just know that, like, there's a leader of the Dagger Society and they're trying to root out young elites. I don't think they know that the that might be of the true. Dagger okay, Society Okay, okay, gotcha, prince. yeah. But, but th- that would almost make it easier for him to get close to somewhere close to his sister or the king and then be like, surprise, I can burn you or whatever. I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, it's more interesting this way, but I'm not sure if I really understand why, what, like, there, I feel like there's a barrier that we haven't been introduced to yet for why he can't get closer to the queen and king just being her brother. Unless she just knows that he probably wants her crown. I, I agree. I think maybe they're just kind of like biding their time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? One of my neighbors is across the street and he doesn't have any pants on. <laughs> Wait, well, but what? <laughs> I'm sorry. We can edit this out. But one of my neighbors is across the street and that he's not wearing any pants. And it's... <laughs> I just looked over and... <laughs> Hold on, I have to put my, my blinds down. All right. Um, yes, there's a lot of... There's a lot in this book that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, I love the book, but there's... I, I still have so many questions, and there's certain things where I'm like, well, why doesn't he just do this? Or, you know... And, and even with Adelina, I don't even know what she wants out of life. Like, does she... Does she care about her sister and want to help her? Does she just feel a responsibility? Does she like any of these people or believe in their mission? Or she's just trying to make sure they don't kill her? Like, if she could get out of both of these kind of commitments as a double spy, basically, like, what would she go do now that her dad's dead? I think she wants to belong to the Dagger Society. And I think she was 
<clears throat> I think she was very thrown when Raffaele was saying, you need to prove yourself, and if you can't control your powers, we will get rid of you. It is a it's an investment to take care of you, and we can't afford to have any weak links to get Enzo on the throne, so if you're a weak link, you can't stay with us. You can't sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she just wants to belong. And also, I think she genuinely does care about her sister, because like when Taryn tells her that she or threatens her and says, you're going to spy on the daggers for me, on the young elites, and come back to me with information on them. The only reason she goes through with it is because she doesn't want her sister to be harmed. Yeah, I just, again, I just have so many questions about their relationship still. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I know that's why she's doing it, but I, that surprised me at the time because I didn't think she really cared that much for her sister. But I guess there's also, you don't have to care for her that much to not want her to be tortured. Exactly. <laughs> but I also just, I'm so disappointed that she didn't just tell tell the daggers what was going on. Like, why didn't, uh, she should have just gone to Raphael and been like, hey. They have my sister. I can feed them false information if you can help me protect her or something. But she's just scared because she doesn't, I know. she knows she hasn't earned their trust yet. And I don't think she trusts them fully yet. So it's the closest thing she has to something, but it's still not quite there yet. And I think she was worried that they may not think that she was worth it. You know, they might say like, we don't, we don't want to deal with this. We, we can't um, support someone who has any ties to the Inquisition because they are our biggest enemy right now. Um, yeah they might have thought it was too much of a risk and not enough Mm -hmm. reward because yeah exactly but it's hard to watch her struggle between these two groups of people especially when she just wants to fit in yeah but she also just wants what does she say she wants um someone to be kind with her without any thought of or expectation of reward like she wants unconditional love and everyone in this book is using each other to get what they want and so it's just like, even though she found a place where she thinks she can belong, she has to play, she has to play along. Yeah. And their loyalty seems based on something different than we actually really like and care for each other. Right? No, like, I don't think that enters into it. I mean, it enters into it a little bit, but I mean, the fact that they refuse to save other Malfettos who are being burnt at the stake because they're not young elites, like they only step in to save those who have super like superpowers or they only step in to save people who they think are worth it yeah which is really i mean it's very ruthless and i i don't know i think like one of my favorite characters like the one i like to read about a lot is um raffaele because i like what a contradiction he is like he's a very gentle like kind-hearted person and he is very empathetic but he's also like one of the most ruthless. Like he was the one who was basically telling Enzo, like, you should kill her. You shouldn't even try to train her. I don't trust her powers. I don't think she can be controlled. I think you need to kill her. And Enzo was the one who was like, well, maybe let's just give her a shot. You know, let's see what she can do. And he was like, no, kill her. <laughs> well, I also think that's interesting. That's like makes me more scared for her because I feel like yeah. he is such an empathetic person and her... Like, whatever she has going on is, like, serious bad news, I think. (laughs) And also, it seems like she is forming the closest relationship to him. So she is trusting him the most, it seems, out of all of them. Yep. And, you know, doesn't realize that he is the one who is the most far from her side. 
Like, he, was the, he is the most fearful of her and doesn't tr- trust her the least, almost. Which is kind of sad. I'm interested to see what happens with Spider now that he's been, like, reprimanded. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like they're he also... He really does not like her. He really does not like her, and he's he is kind of Enzo's right-hand guy before her, and Enzo's putting all this trust in her, and she's not really following the rules or earning it yet. And I'm worried that he's going to ruin his whole little band of misfits for himself by, uh, you know... Like, turning them against her? Yeah. And against yeah. him, you know? I don't know. Basically, I want to keep reading. <laughs> I really like the whole um, world of, like, the pleasure courts. Um... I think that was an interesting setting for the daggers to kind of have as their headquarters. Mm-hmm. And I want to kind of see more of that. I also liked how there were still certain like rules around it, right? Like part of the reason she disguises herself as, uh, what do they call them? The apprentice type people. The consorts. Yeah. Was because until you reach a certain age, like you're not supposed to be touched or looked at or even spoken to. Oh, right, right, right. The, like, no one in the land is allowed to give themselves to another until they're 17. Yep. And so she's dressed up as, like, a consort in training. Um, but also, it's kind of interesting to see, like, how beautiful and lavish and luxurious this court is when... There's economic troubles everywhere and... <laughs> there's economic yeah. troubles everywhere, yeah. And also just, like, that it's hiding so much ugliness, too. I think yeah. that's what I find really fascinating about it because we meet Raphael, who's a consort. We don't know how he got there. We kind of sense that he's not happy with his situation. Like she sees some sadness in his face and, you know, she goes to all of these performances where she sees all these consorts paid to entertain these um, wealthy noblemen. And like at first she's very enchanted by it, but then she is also chilled by it and kind of... Um, disgusted by it. Yeah. Also, this isn't really related to what you were saying, but I just remembered. I also want to find out more about whoever showed up at her dad's house that started this whole thing, who wanted oh, to yeah. purchase her before she him. was of age, and she thought he wanted her to be his mistress, but now I'm curious if he was related to either sides of this other thing, or if he's someone else completely, and if he comes back into it, or if it was just a character to get things moving. That's a good question. We don't ever learn his name, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. But maybe maybe down the road she'll recognize him or something. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious to see. Because the whole reason she ran and used her power was because this guy really wanted her. And this guy really wanted her without really knowing much of, and was willing to like settle the debt and everything to take her before she was of marrying age. Get her off his hands with yeah. very little negotiation when no one else has been interested. Like all this stuff. So some, something suspicious there, I think. But I don't know if it's just... I mean, it also... She's pretty or what? Yeah. It may have also been just a way to illustrate how terrible her father was. Like, I don't know if it was just a plot device to show how heartless he was, that he would sell his daughter to a stranger just for, you know... Yeah. Because she's is ruining his business reputation by being a marks. And because he uh, needs the money and, yeah... And, yeah, even, exactly. and even when he gets that opportunity, I felt like he was trying to talk the guy out of it, but not because he cared about his daughter, but he was basically like, why would you want her? <laughs> I know. I know. Which is like, which is another reason of, you know, she feels so unwanted and she wants to just belong somewhere. I mean. And it's so sad her mom died so young. I know. But it's also interesting when, you know, when she had the flashback about like the butterfly when her dad broke her finger. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I guess she had already been alone without her mom and her dad trying to like 
scare her into using her powers or whatever he was trying to do, bully her into using her powers already. So maybe that's where the darkness had already started coming from. But it does, it is kind of interesting to have her even like recognize and describe herself as like so motivated by this thing she recognizes as darkness inside her. Mm-hmm. I like how she's a little bit unapologetic about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like when she, when she was stealing stuff so she could run away and she was like, oh yeah, here's another thing to love about me. I'm a thief. Yep. I think she's definitely recognizes that it's wrong though. And she's, I think she is struggling because she does have this alignment to fear and um, fury and darkness. And so she's very much thrilled by and excited when other people are afraid around her and that like fuels her power. But at the same time, I think she feels disgusted at herself because she knows that it's wrong to feel that way. Like, even when her father dies, there's part of her that's, like, really excited about it. Yeah. And she kind of hates that she has that portion in her. Well, I think the reason she hates it, and the interesting thing is, it reminds her of her dad, right? Like, her dad was so, like, she knows that that part of her makes her similar to her dad. Mm -hmm. And she hates him so much. But then she also kind of comes by it honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's why I was, like, I thought we'd see more of her father because I thought we'd see more of like them interacting with each other yeah I'm sure we'll see more in flashbacks there's been like a number already or or again I want to know more about the sister and maybe that'll reveal more of what her family life was like before yes I I mean I'm sure we will we I mean we we kind of have to (laughs) we have to it's a a requirement also it's so weird how like Taryn and Julieta have this weird relationship now how how what Taryn and Julieta are like sleeping together like, what is yeah. that all how, about? How old is she supposed to be? Um, okay, so she's Enzo's older sister. So Enzo is... Uh, how old do we think... How old do we think any of these people are? We know Adelina is 16. Um, yeah, I guess she's the only one that we really have an idea of. Her sister's younger than that. I get the impression that they're all young-ish, though. I mean, you know, like, I don't think... I think Enzo must be maybe early 20s. I was going to say, I wouldn't say anyone's, like, over 25 in their group. No. But not no. but I but I don't think they're all teenagers either. Well, we know Raphael is at least seventeen. Because that's yeah. when he became a consort and he's been there for a while, so let's say yeah. Late teens, early twenties. So Julieta is probably maybe mid twenties. Well they do say that um there's definitely an age difference between them. Like they comment on that and he Yeah. He has a chapter where he's almost surprised that she wants that she wants to be with him because of the And then I'm kind of curious, is she interested in him at all? Like, or is she just using him? Or is she just trying to get back at her husband? Or is he just, like, fun? Or is it a little (laughs) bit of all of the, you know, but, like, I don't think, I don't get the sense that she has any, like, real feelings for him yet. I feel like she's just using him just like everyone else is using each other. Yeah, yeah. But you get the sense he really cares about her. Or is he using her, too, for something? Maybe. I get the sense that, I mean, I think maybe he'll realize at some point that she's using him and it'll fade. I don't think it's like true love, true love. I think it's like 18 year old, oh my goodness, someone's paying attention to me, (sighs) you know, and she's a princess, whatever, love. Yeah. But I think you're right too, because it is kind of like an op, it's an opportunity for him. She's like one of the few people who believed in him and gave him this kind of mission for his life, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And believed in him, not necessarily like in a supportive way, but in a, you can do this for me way. (laughs) Right, and she probably likes 
is attracted to him because he's helping to like propagate the stereotypes and the um, hatred against Malfettos, which keeps her brother effectively off the throne. Yeah, and she's just, it sounds like she hates her husband, so anything to get back at him a little bit. <laughs> and that. <laughs> okay. Nice. Well, oh, I, I have something to plug. <laughs> Promote. Um, so I was talking to my cousins in that show, Candide. So if anyone is in Chicago and wants to see a good show, um, Candide is running... At the Con Theater in on Northwestern's campus. Have you been to that theater? Uh, yes, I have. I'm trying to remember what I saw there, but I have been there. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, it runs June 3rd to June 11th, and um, looks like it's going to be a pretty good show. There's some people being burned at the stake, apparently. So If um, I'm in town, I'll check it out. We'll go together. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I guess we'll keep reading, and... Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I didn't take it. I was less organized this time because of puppy, but next time I'll be, I'll be really interesting. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to research, I'm going to research a little bit about the Black Plague. And then I also want to research, research, um, pleasure courts. Okay. <laughs> Cause why not? <laughs> Cause why not? I don't know what I'm going to research yet, but I will actually do some research this okay. time. Um, oh, I have a really good joke for you this week. Oh, perfect. And it's a Spanish joke. Kind of. Oh, very um, appropriate. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a Spanish magician, and he tells his audience that he's going to make himself disappear on the count of three. So he starts counting, uno, dos, and then he disappeared without a trace. That's good. I did like that one. It also reminded me of the little blurbs at the beginning of some of these chapters where they were talking about magic and how it came from. Do you remember that part? I love how they have these little excerpts. Because they're, um, like, she she wrote all of these, but together they they, um, just add so much to the world building. I was going to say, it's cool that it's not, it's based in their world, and it just kind of helps give a little bit, like, what the superstitions are and what the, you know. And just all these books that she invented, like, the nations of sky, sun, and sea, and she invented all of these writings and and authors. So it's on page 86 in this, in my paper copy, but it said, magic is a shortened term derived from... Magiano's tricks coined from the exploits of the famous young charlatan Magiano who was never captured by the Inquisition. Essays by Raphael Laurent Bisset. I, I just for some reason that one stuck out to me. Okay, this was something that I was confused about though because <laughs> so they didn't have the word magic until Magiano. I know. Was born? I was kind of like <laughs> what? That doesn't even make sense. Like I think his name would be based off of an already existing word magic. So, like, before him, there, there was no word for magic, is what they're saying. And also, unless the Inquisition has been around doing other things for a long time in this world. But it's not like these people are mortal. No. Yeah. I didn't understand. I, that was actually, that's funny you pointed that out, because I read that and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> that makes zero sense. I guess sense. I didn't really put it all in context. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> or I just thought it was interesting. I just thought about it when you said the magician and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I guess, like, I guess back then, more and more words were being invented, you know, like Shakespeare invented a bunch of words, but it just seems a little strange that that word never existed before this ma- Magiano guy. Also, it could be it could be false 
but still, even if it's just part of I the don't know. even if that guy never existed, or even if whatever. I trust Raphael Laurent Bisset very much. <laughs> I don't think he would tell lies like that. But I guess the thing is, is like he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I like him. Um, but I think there is so much in this book that doesn't make sense. But I think it's like a good mark of how good an author is if there's stuff that doesn't make sense but you're still willing to kind of suspend your belief in order to keep reading yeah you know like there's there's tons of stuff in this book that does not make sense but it's still so good it's it's almost like you don't you don't care and I'm pretty good at suspending my disbelief in a lot of situations but you know it it's confusing but it doesn't get in the way of the of the good plot and the good characters and the story. Yeah, but there will be times when I read something and I'm like, wait, how does that work? Or... <laughs> yeah. How does a 12-year-old prince uh, survive after being and not get, And not be recognized? And what do they... What does he do all day? <laughs> exactly. I have no idea. And how did he get so much money? Like, I get that he's, you know, like using Raffaele right now to, like, seduce patrons, but before he met him, what did he do? Like, where did he get this money from? Like, how, do you have access to the royal treasury? No. I'm Although, sure I mean, he was banished. It's not like they pretended he died. So maybe he does still have... Again, if they don't know he's related to the dagger people, maybe he is still supposed to just go off and, like, live in peace with his settlement money kind of thing. I don't know. They gave him a settlement. <laughs> they gave him a severance I mean, he's, package. But, you know, he's still family or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> to leave quietly? We'll get... <laughs> I hopefully we'll find yeah. out because otherwise I'm gonna. Be it's really also hard mad. because there's other books you know where they give so much detail or background or description of stuff that I'm also like I don't care about this. I want to get to the what's happening now story. So it's always a trade off of like what's the right amount. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm excited for next week. Me too. Um. Oh yeah. I have to say something. What do I say? Oh yeah. Bye, bookworms. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's been a while. <laughs> we haven't done the sign-off in a while. Um, oh, and I, my sign-off is to go get a library card, but I have to tell you that I um, I had a delinquent account in my library because I only had a dollar fifty in fines, but I hadn't paid them in so long that they locked my account. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I had to go in person to the library and pay my fines to get my account unlocked. See? And... I felt I felt kind of bad about it <laughs> after promoting the library so much. That's yeah, how they repay you. <laughs> I felt like a fraud, kind of. <laughs> so on that note, I will say, go get a library card and please pay your library fine. <laughs> Bye. Bye. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.